0: Welcome to the Media Cat Magazine podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Pigger, editor at the magazine. And for today's pod, I have with me Charlotte Mayer, MD of agency The Fitting Room and one of AdAge's leading women in marketing 2021. Welcome Charlotte.
1: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: How are you? How are you doing?
1: I'm good. I'm good. I'm a little bit exhausted from, from US travels, but other than that, all good.
0: So I was going to ask you, uh, when I was uh, doing my prep for this podcast, I saw uh, you posted on LinkedIn that you were watching CeeLo Green perform on some rooftop in New York. Is is that where you've been or is this a, you you just got back from a different trip or is that the same trip?
1: Um, So I was in LA for a week um, and then I was in New York for a week and New York was, well, it was what New York does. It's like London, but high. It was was incredible and got to, um, went to CeeLo, yes, at Dumbo House house um, in Brooklyn And then the next night went to see Alicia uh, Keys. And then on the Friday night, actually, Alicia hosted um, an incredible like tour after party. Um, It was a roller disco at Flippers um, that's at the bottom of the Rockefeller Center. Um, There's very few people that I'll I'll be out until 4 a.m. for at my old age. But um, yeah, so loads of culture, vibes, just every the best of New York.
0: That sounds great. I think um, last time I was in New York, I was actually in the uh, yeah, I was at the bottom of Rockefeller Center as well. Um, I was with a local uh, who uh, she was sort of guiding me round, or sort of taking me to the tourist spots, but kind of the um, taking some of the shortcuts, I guess as well. But I remember we were sitting at the bottom of Rockefeller, and the sun was shining, and I think uh, Sly and the Family Stone, "It's a Family Affair," was playing uh, just at some cafe, and it was just a really lovely chilled vibe. Um, it was really nice. Um, I want to ask what's the vibe like in New York um, you know I was going to say post-pandemic but we're not exactly in that kind of post-pandemic in, in whatever period of the pandemic we find ourselves in now?
1: Um, I think that there's been a lot when I saw some of my friends in LA the week before they were talking about the rise in homelessness in New York um, they were talking about how much is closed in New York and the thing that was interesting is New York is definitely still very aware of the pandemic it's not like London a huge amount of people are still in masks sanitizing, you know, when you get into an Uber there, it does still say, have you got a mask as one of the tick boxes that you have to do. They're also acutely aware of monkeypox as well. Quite a few Uber drivers go into deep conversations with me about monkeypox. And I was like, you're really killing my vibe. I don't want to talk about this. We don't want to deal with this. We're still still on COVID. Um, So I would say that sort of the young people are still back. And I, I think one of the other interesting things was New York felt really expensive. Like, you know, New York is never cheap, but it was, it felt it felt pricey. I've got to say, I noticed it significantly there in in everything that we um, went out and did. So um, one of my friends in LA said it's the new New York, which no one knows if they love or hate yet. And I know a lot of people moved out to Austin, Miami, people were talking to me about how Houston was on the rise as well. Um, So I don't think it's quite what it used to be. And also we had a conversation about rents in there as well. Like, one one best studios now are crazy you know and that's not in manhattan like that's going outside of manhattan so yeah post pandemic or pre-post wherever we are now it's 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 pretty rough but it's still got the energy of the charisma and the energy and the vibe and the the get out and get shit done that new york has always been and, and will always be
0: Yeah, it does feel like everything's in a bit of an evolutionary kind of period, or at least cities around the world are in this sort of flux at the moment. Um, I realise I'm jumping ahead, so I want to go back a little bit. Can you explain what The Fitting Room do?
1: Yeah, so how to describe The Fitting Room, and I know I should be able to do this in a full elevator pitch, but I guess it's a little bit more complex than that. When I launched the agency, the idea was that where is the thing, where is the space that people have change and a fitting room is a place for change so you're buying something new and normally that something new is for a special occasion it's a new work outfit it's a new something that's going to put you in a different position and make you feel differently about something and it will a, a fitting room whether you're in the best shape of your life or not will always evoke an emotion within you so this idea was that people come into the fitting room and we strip them down and we understand all of our problems to the equivalent of oh, i don't like my thighs i don't like my this and you recreate a fit for them that is bespoke to that brand or that business. And it was kind of born because I was sitting in lots of pitches and we were winning work and people were essentially saying to me that the other agencies that we were pitching against were rolling out generic pitches, whereas we had come in and created something totally bespoke and really done that auditing part of the business and looked at where the opportunity was and everything else. So that's what the brand is born of. And I studied a couple of agencies in the US that had really nailed culture. We in the UK talk about culture. and I wrote about this this morning on my LinkedIn in a very different way to how the Americans talk about culture. And I really wanted to take the inspiration from America and package that for the UK. Also understanding, and people don't want to hear this very often, that minority culture in the UK is a driving force for trends and what's popping. But we will never have the population to dominate that. So for me, it's always been about where is the sweet spot of culture where you can bring the most people to the table to share and enjoy something as opposed to it being used as something to divide people. So Mm. our approach to being a culture comms agency sits slightly differently that has allowed us to do things like launch Black Pound Day, um, throw the biggest Brits after party that is for your gigs, your gets, your Stormzy, all of the people that are dominating the charts and what I consider now pop culture, but also allows us to roll out a global campaign for bugaboo, you know, the Tesla of pushchairs, uh, launch Hydrofacial in the UK, because we understand people and audiences and how you bring that shit together to get people excited.
0: Adding to that, um, there's the fitting rooms method, which I think you posted uh, on LinkedIn again recently. And uh, so it had three words that I saw hype, demand, and legacy. Can you explain how you settled on those as your sort of pillars of the business and how they work in terms of the context of your work?
1: Yeah, so Our methodology is actually driven by some of the greatest people in hip hop. So um, if you take anybody that has influenced hip hop, the thing that they've had, whether they've had a shitload of money or no money is hype. Every hip hop artist that's made it has got hype. Kanye West doesn't even speak and the internet has a breakdown, right? Because he has hype masters, right? That sit around him. he's he's got the man the men that do it for him so his last album he didn't even speak on for about six weeks i don't think he did a press interview but he got justin Leboy to post saying that he was at uh, the secret listing party in vegas or la or something and everything blew up but the artist itself didn't speak a word on it so that's hype so we look at a hype ecosystem as normally the influence that sits outside the influencer because that's actually where the most influential behavior comes from. Whereas again, in the UK, we very much look at who's the person that's got 5 million followers. And I don't actually think that that's the detail of influence in its, in its most authentic way. So we have this hype thing. And the hype thing is, as I say to my team, have you put enough hype into that that anybody's going to give a shit, right? Because I think as marketeers and communicators, our internal hype is, oh, our competitors are going to hate this. Oh, we're going to get a bit of trade press for this, as opposed to the, is the consumer going to absolutely love this? And this is going to be the link that they take to their WhatsApp group and share with all their girls. It, it's that kind of energy. And what drives hype when you move beyond um, the, the state, the need of state, that whole psychological side of it? How do you do that? How does Supreme drop something and have a queue around the block? It's all of that side of it. And how is that linked to social media um, and how we behave as humans? And then the demand part of it, is really about the the sales and the conversions part of it it's all good and well doing a great campaign but commercially if that doesn't link to something more tangible people are generally not that happy so we wanted to have that focus of really a commercial understanding especially such a young agency communicating that yeah we know what's popping but also we know how to pop it and sell it is a very different conversation and then the last piece around legacy is people caring for long enough to come back and do a repeat visit. And when we talk about legacy, when I sort of took the team through like how these pillars are gonna come to life in the business, I said the morning that Tiffany woke up, Tiffany and Co. sorry, woke up and said, we're not as culturally relevant as we were when every woman like me that was a millennial was wearing a dog chain, we've lost that edge. And they said, Who is the agency that we're going to call to reposition us, whilst not alienating our core, because never forget where 70% of the money is coming from, but how do we build our 30% acquisition of something new? Who was the agency they called that said, yo, let's get Jay-Z and Beyonce? That's where we want to sit around legacy.
0: Legacy is an interesting one, because um, I guess, and that's my little segue onto the next uh, thing I want to ask you, which is... um, You've written a few articles in the last couple of years, one of which uh, I guess I, ha- I have a link to because it was uh, "What Can Brands Learn from Biggie Smalls," um, and I think you wrote it about just over a year ago, ahead of the Netflix documentary which dropped. Um, and I think you put me onto it actually, um, so I watched it straight afterwards. And I wanted to ask what your thoughts were on the documentary and um, how they portrayed Biggie um, and you know uh, his 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 legacy really. Um, Yeah, take it away.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, it's an interesting one because as I've gotten older, I've gotten more focused on understanding where stuff comes from. And why stuff is how it is, and I don't think that marketeers and communicators spend enough time doing that. And I think that Biggie is a really great example of that because if you think he died what nineteen ninety seven, and his influence in brands is still felt now that Fila can still drop a new trainer and attribute it to Biggie and the legacy, and it can still sell out, that gives you a fundamental understanding of the influence that he had. The documentary, like all great hip hop documentaries, if you go on and watch Kanye's one, if you go on and watch Diddy's one, you know, even when you go into the space of culture that sits within sports and you look at um, The Last Dance, it... The, the, the story behind how something came to be is normally more interesting than the thing that came to be. Um, and I think that that's the thing with Biggie. When we look at, back at hip hop and, you know, CDs being burnt in the streets and record labels having total panics about this style of music and what it was going to do to America. And then you look at modern culture now and how that stuff actually shapes things from politics, you know, conversations about climate change, it touches on everything. And the Biggie documentary just gave the back end of that, why this is how this is, what happened to get here. And I think as a, as a black, I was gonna say youngish woman in the UK that was raised in a white area, I didn't have a sense of belonging for a long time. So I've made my business about understanding that and how that then goes on to shape and tell really great stories. So anybody else that didn't belong at a certain period in history, I will always be fascinated with how that has then flipped that they're now the icons and and, and legacy brands or people in history.
0: With regards to Biggie, um... Do you think he had much of a, a an eye on his legacy? Um, you know, the the crown image pushed to the side of his head. You know, the collaborations. You know, was that part of his thinking? Was he a natural marketer? What, what's your take?
1: I actually think at that time they weren't thinking about legacy. They were fighting to survive. Ultimately, you know, that era was about that. But I think sometimes in your fight to survive, your best stuff happens, right? I, I did a podcast last week and I spoke about this. When you've got nothing you can give everything because there's nothing to lose. And I think at that time they were giving everything because there was nothing to lose because it couldn't have been worse than where they had been. So the, 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 the mentality around hip hop essentially is the only way is up and that's what he was doing. So he was making good decisions. And I think as well, he's a good example of somebody that was living authentically. Was it perfect? Absolutely not. That was a completely different era. You know, culturally people operated completely differently then, but I think, Legacy is driven by doing small right things every day, as opposed to over obsessing about what your legacy is going to be. Your legacy is just a representation of who you are.
0: Small, consistent things every day. Yes, that makes sense. Um, interestingly, uh, speaking of Biggie, um, it kind of puts me in mind. I watched the uh, the Pistol TV show uh, recently. It's um, by Danny Boyle uh, about the sort of. I don't know, the the coming together of the Sex Pistols and, and uh, well, the, the rise and fall, I suppose. Um, and I, I don't know, I kind of see, uh, obviously, you know, the Sex Pistols came along at a time when uh, Britain needed change. And um, I kind of feel maybe, you know, Biggie sort of had that punk rock side to him as well. Um, but you kind of see it now a lot with a lot of people rising up where they have a lot of hype. Influencers and uh, and so on, um, but do you do you think that they might have the initial hype? But how how many of them kind of have that sort of punk rock spirit and are really shaking things up? Do you think?
1: I think we've got culturally like t- there's two strands to that. I think that we've got the generation of everything instant and overnight success, as opposed to the previous generations that t- understood that to build a business can take ten years before you actually start to make money. I think that social media has driven so much hype in people that it it comes and it goes. So that, yes, there are loads of incredibly talented artists out there globally, but who's got the cut through to sustain? Because ultimately the sustainability is still driven by whomever you are doing those small things every day. You know, you see the Kardashians, they're on social media every day building their brands and they are people that will be written about in the history books for shaping pop culture. Whether you believe where that, where that influence came from is, is the, the political side of it is kind of null and void. That's how they will be positioned and remembered. And I'm, for me, I've, I'm a big Kardashian fan in the sense of, I love watching them work. Like, you know, Kim has got, you know her beats range she wrote to beats herself she asked beats you know so that's a really great example of a legacy person who's got to the top can wear do anything and that's still like shaping the influence and the conversation that they want to have so I think from an artist's perspective we've got a little bit of spray and pray at the moment we've got people that aren't that don't want to do the work because I think people think oh one big TikTok blows up and I'm suddenly rich and famous and If you know the game, that's not the reality of the situation. That's one part of, okay, now you've got an audience. Now you've got awareness. How are you going to get them back for your second, your third singles, and then your album? And I think that that's true, not just to the music industry. I think that's true to everything. And I think as well, got a challenge at the moment. I was talking about this to a big British legacy brand the other day of things are changing and you do have to change. But in the here and now with a cost of living crisis and everything else, most brands, and artists still do need to retain their core. They do need to retain the thing that keeps the lights on. So you can't shift too far from what you already do. But we always talk about cutting off a percentage of an audience um, to create something new with that, that creates your legacy uh, of the next 50 years.
0: It's funny, as you were talking, it reminded me of uh, I, I was one of those people that got into plants during the pandemic um, and, uh, you know, cutting a little bit off and uh, uh, hoping that that will grow. Sometimes the original plant dies, but then a new one springs up. Um, so I guess you're diversifying in that way. Um, one of, one of the uh, points you were saying, um, I guess to do with Kim Kardashian, um, is sort of canny collaborations, And also the the fact of if you do the same thing all the time, um, it becomes monotone and humans tune out. So I guess that's where she's interesting, right? So, um, you know, doing different things with different people to kind of keep mixing it up.
1: I think the principle is if if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. Um, Always come to light when we've got situations like this. So we are living in a very unprecedented times. And I said to my team on Monday, unprecedented times require unprecedented behavior. So if you're going to carry on doing what you've always done, I'm not sure where you think you're going to get to. And I never think that, I mean, I'm a, a full on startup mindset. I'm the, the absolute person who will run into the fire and go, fuck it, let's see what happens. Not everybody is like that. And brands who have got stakeholders to answer to certainly can't behave like that. But I do think that whilst we're navigating through this very strange time, we do need to look at 20 to 30 percent risk because of what you could win if you do risk it. Now, Kim Kardashian is a really great example of that. She does her safe things, but she also does her things where people are like, holy shit, how did she get there? How did that happen? Like the Marilyn dress but for the Met Gala. You know, she brings things back to life and she's very good at tapping into the power of nostalgia, um, as well as, as, and the role that that's going to play in marketing during a downtime. But I think, one of the things in the UK in particular that we could do a lot better in marketing is collaboration. Like, again, this idea going back to the old school values of how you build an audience. Well, it's easier to leverage an audience of a competitor, something in a completely different space to you, and get people's attentions and eyes on it than it is to acquire solely on your own. And I definitely think, again, whilst we're going into weird times, that's definitely something that people can tap into a lot lot more like I'm a big believer in collaborators you know we as an agency have an agency network they're ultimately our competitors but when stuff comes to me that I'm like do you know what this just isn't right we pass it on to them we like to keep it in that network and we collaborate and we'll talk very openly in pitches about those other agencies and things like that like we don't move in a in a soulless way we're about how can we bring more people to the table and the power of collaboration either way struggled with in this country because my friends in America do it so powerfully and it's one of our key elements of building themselves and their businesses whereas in the uk that kind of we we move different is what i always say we move differently and, and i think that the where we're about to move as a society and everybody not knowing what's next there's power in numbers and that is putting you side by side with other people
0: it's interesting that point about collaboration um I don't know if you meant brands or agencies, because I assumed with America, if it was agencies, they'd be all like fighting tooth and nail uh, rather than collaborating in any sense.
1: I think that there's a mix. I think on a brand level, so much collaboration out there. But what I've learned from a lot of the freelance community um, who work with agencies is that they bring a lot of people together. People are very good at understanding their skill set and what they have in their um, bank of tricks versus what they need to leverage from somebody else. So, And I think as well where a lot of brands at the moment are looking for global partners but don't necessarily want to go to traditional agencies that have got 10,000 people globally, want to work with experts, we've been approached a lot more recently from global agencies saying, yo, can we team up with you and you rep the UK part of this project and, and look at uh, Western Europe and, and those kinds of things. So I definitely think that it's there simmering, but it's driven by the brands doing collaborations and brands demanding that our agencies bring more to the table and have a bigger pool of a network to create create great conversations and great storytelling.
0: I want to pivot now slightly, if we can, um, to use that terrible corporate type phrase. But um, when I was uh, back in the day, when I was editor at the Marketing Society, uh, I say back in the day, about two years ago, uh, you wrote a piece for me there uh, about how OnlyFans could be the new home of uh, for entertainers, and, and and so obviously it started life as predominantly a place uh, for sex workers? Um, and, you know, is it evolving? And I also read an article in the New York Times uh, from late last year, which said pretty much the same thing. Um, weirdly written by another Charlotte. So I don't know if you guys are teaming up or something. Um, but uh, in late 2022, how do you how do you think the platform's uh, shaping up? You know, has it been superseded by TikTok? Does it still have a place? Is it going to evolve into something more next year, you think?
1: I haven't looked at OnlyFans in a hot minute. I saw the last scandal that they had where they were going to be removing certain types of content from the platform. They had a lot of backlash and they had to circle back to that. And I think the CEO stepped down. Somebody else is is, is the data CEO maybe from a couple of months ago. I, I feel like I read that on LinkedIn. But I think that TikTok, I, I think that we need to be slightly... TikTok's doing its thing in the moment. And I, but I don't believe that that is the ultimate channel strategy for everything that we do as, as communicators. I think people have got it a little bit twisted at the moment with looking that as the Holy Grail, like, yes, right now it is a channel that is winning and doing in crazy growth and, you know, obviously beating Google for searches and all of that good stuff. But that doesn't mean that everybody's on TikTok and that everybody is using TikTok and that everybody's going to buy from TikTok. There are a lot of people that are still going to see an ad and they're going to jump off on Google and they're going to go to TripAdvisor. And I think that it's it's, it's got to be one of your key three right now, but not your everything. And for some brands, OnlyFans, as it does do more mainstream, you know, there are a lot of creators on there making a lot of money um, from fitness to food. I think it's going to be a slower burn because they've got the reputation that they had previously of what they were. But don't forget, TikTok had its reputation from being for Musical.ly and also thinking it's just a bunch of teenagers singing songs. So every brand has its evolution. It's about how good are the people that you put around you that can tell the stories and scope out opportunity. And I think that that's going to be the biggest challenge for OnlyFans is what that journey looks like. Again, coming back to that legacy piece of you can't alienate your core because they're driving your most commercial, but you're 30%, you've got to look at that differently.
0: It's funny you say about TikTok because um, it, it probably comes back to one of your pillars, right? Of uh, hype, but uh, don't believe the hype.
1: Our internal message, to the team is, don't believe the hype. That's situ- what I say to the team when they're getting gassed up because a campaign is blowing up or someone's given loads of compliments. I'm like, I'm that person. It's like, don't believe the hype. Like there is a there is a human balance that needs to come into that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Enthusiasm is great, but sometimes you can, I guess, lose your way if you're, um, you know, you take your eyes off the prize, etc. OnlyFans is an interesting one, I think, this sort of evolution of it and um, in some ways the, um, you know, the things that they tried to change with it and then there was the backlash, etc. And it, it kind of makes me think of the evolution of the, uh, or, or the place that we find ourselves with the internet now, nowadays, um, you know, where like Disney Plus came along and then Disney Plus had um, started putting on, you know, uh, movies for adults. I, I don't want to say adult movies because it, it's, it's sort of that terminology, it kind of gets confusing, but basically, you know, shows that um, grown ups can watch. Um, okay, okay. Again, there isn't a way, really a way of saying this phrase without it seeming confusing, but, you know, in the, in the way that sort of Facebook has, and Instagram has become very puritanical, and then, you know, uh, surely there must be a way to separate it where, you know, um, Not everything is kind of for everybody, or there are ways that you can, you know, obviously have parental locks and filters if if you want to ensure that uh, you know children don't see adult things. But then also, adults are able to watch adult things if they want, Um, and you just, you know, uh, the platforms are able to sort of separate those two things um, and cater to audiences that way. Um, I mean, that's my hope. There isn't really a question here. I'm just just sort of ranting, really.
1: We 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 are in a time of fear. Um, and we are also in a time of everybody being offended. So, you know, everybody's definitely playing absolutely everything uh, safe to a T, which isn't necessarily the best way to navigate through a global financial crisis.
0: We've got to wrap up in a sec, but I just want to ask, um, as a kind of a final question, really, as a, you know, as a boss and a leader of an agency, how has it been in the last couple of years with the pandemic, et cetera, you know, uh, have you had to change your style at all? Has it, has it been fun um, or has it just been, you know, a bit of a nightmare?
1: It's it fucking hard. No, I mean, I started the the agency with 17 pounds, right? So my expectation of knowing how hard I was going to have to work was there from day dot. I guess when the pandemic hit, we had a large number of hospitality clients and they were the first ones to close. So, we had monies owed to us, we owed money out. Um, and we, you know, nobody knew what was coming. You know, originally it was we're closing for three weeks, you know, flatten the curve, la, la la la. Well, here we are two and a half years later. So, I think it was definitely rough, but I learned probably some of my greatest lessons. I took the time to look at the business and go, okay, we've been really busy for the last few years, but are we delivering what I wanted us to deliver? Are we staying true as to why this business was created? Are we culturally doing what we came to do, both internally and externally. And it was a time to ask myself some hard questions. We actually uh, started to have a little bit of a tidy up as a business, as a brand. You know, pre-COVID, we didn't even have a website, right? We didn't really have proper creds. You know, we have so much referral business that we didn't have to do much of that. So I said to one of my advisory board, I'm going to adult now. So we're going to do more of the the old school stuff that I had been avoiding. Um, And we've definitely come back out as a clearer agency. We're very clear on our mission, very clear on our network. We've got some really incredible people sat at the table. I've got proper support and structure in the business now. And, you know, we're, we're, we're getting to some tables that, God, you know, if you told me six years ago, that, that would be that, I would have laughed. And those were the things driven by the the pandemic because it forced me to stop. Um, I also helped my younger brother launch his own food company during lockdown that is now, you know, he was my number two for four years. He's now running a full food company, delivering stuff for some of the biggest brands in the country and biggest celebrities, um, and it's his full business now. So, you know, it was it was really hard, but I think when you're when you've started something with nothing, your resilience levels are so much higher um, to just like right shit, you know, going to turn this around. What's plan B? What's plan C? And what's plan D? So for me, it was just a, okay, cool, right? Let's let's get this done
0: well thank you so much i know i've been trying to get you to do one of these podcasts for ages now so i'm glad we finally got to do it and um yeah just want to say thank you charlotte for coming on the media cat magazine podcast
1: thank you for having me